Hey guys, welcome to Dating Mechanics on Girls Chase, where we get girls chasing you. I'm Varun Raja, and today we have a very special guest who came recommended to me by Chase himself. Joshua Spodek is a PhD and an MBA who wrote the number one best-selling book, Leadership Step-by-Step. He hosts the award-willing Leadership and Environmental podcast, writes a column for Inc., and also blogs daily on his website, joshuaspodek.com. He holds five Ivy League degrees, including a PhD in astrophysics and an MBA from Columbia, where he studied under a Nobel laureate. He also left academia to found a venture to market an invention that shows animated images to subway riders between stations. Not only this, but he's also a rocket scientist, an astrophysicist turned new media whiz, according to NBC, has also visited North Korea twice, swam across the Hudson River, has done burpees daily since 2011, and takes 16 months to produce one load of garbage, and also hasn't flown by choice since March 2016. Now you might be asking what a guy like Josh is doing on the Girls Chase podcast. Well, we're here to talk about his new book coming out, which is about taking initiative and guys. Now one of the most important things we understand is that every Everybody has dreams, but for us to make a dream a reality, it takes a step to produce initiative, but not only just doing the initiative, it's also how to go about doing it in the right way that produces results. Now today we're going to talk about this from the perspective of both dating and leadership, because as we all know, to be an alpha male, you must be a leader, and to be a leader, you must take initiative. So without further ado, my podcast with Joshua Spodek. Hey guys, welcome to Dating Mechanics on Girls Chase, where we get girls chasing you. I'm Barun Raja, and today I feature Joshua Spodek, a friend of Chase's who teaches learning and leadership and how to improve people's lives. He has five Ivy League degrees, is an astrophysicist, wrote four books so far in his life, and today we're going to be talking about his latest upcoming book called Initiative, which is a proven method to bring your passions to life. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And I have to correct, you said I am an astrophysicist. I have a PhD, but I haven't practiced it in a long time. Oh, really? (laughs) In researching you, actually, you've been doing so many different things in your life. I guess you're in your 40s now, right? 47, yeah. Wow, amazing. And you've lived in New York for about 20 years or so? I've been in this apartment for about 20 years. Oh, my God. And I first came here, I mean, I started Columbia in 88, but I had a year in Paris. I had a year and a half back in Philly when I started grad school, and I had a year in Shanghai. But otherwise, I've been in New York. Wow, Yeah. It's such a great city to be in because I think everyone around you here on a mission and here most times like to accomplish something in the city and it has that unique energy where you're always surrounded by ambition and people achieving goals. To me, this city feels like home like no other city. If someone forced me to live in a couple other places, I'd probably like it, but I'd always feel like I have to return to New York to be home. Mm, Amazing. So tell us quickly a bit of a history about yourself, Josh. How did you start on this path towards teaching people how to improve their lives? I guess the biggest thing for that would be business school, where I first started taking class. That's where I found out that there were classes in leadership. And before that, I would have thought, either you have it or you don't, and that's it. Something you're born with. Now, if it was just business school, classes there, they teach you through case study, reading papers, writing papers but not actually doing things. And you can't get that far learning a performance-based skill by just reading about it or writing about it. Like, oh man, you know, I write, I have a column for Inc. And there's all these articles about from like Navy SEALs. And Navy SEALs don't learn to become Navy SEALs by reading about Navy SEALs. You have to do stuff. So after business school, 
I thought, oh wow, I got really great, got great grades, I got an Ivy League business degree, and I'll go out and be excellent at business. And I'd go into meetings, and I would think, okay, I'm gonna say this, and then they're gonna say that, I'm gonna say this, and then they're gonna do that. And I walk in, and usually when I would make eye contact, I would lose everything, I'd forget everything, and that's what happens when you know what to do, but you don't know how to do it. And I realized that there are more effective ways to learn. And then I spent a long time learning how to learn performance-based things. It seems to me that a lot of our education system, at least as far as we're taught from a young age, is about studying and about you know performing tests and things like that based on, would you say it's true that people focus more on memorization and learning technical skills from, say, a textbook rather than actually experiencing how to do things and having more of like a, a body-mind-like connection of, of like pursuing what they, what they should be doing? Do yeah, it's a I mean? catastrophe. If education doesn't lead you to change your behavior, then you haven't changed your life. And if you look at the behavior that traditional mainstream school teaches, the behavior is to comply, to sit there and do what you're told. And it may teach you about what values are in principle, but it doesn't help you learn what your values are and to act on them because they tell you what's important. You know, in college, you might get to choose your major, but it's from a small list. And then you have some choice of classes, but basically your classes are chosen for you. And that's not what I call education. In fact, when I often go to graduate things, like alumni events for graduates at Columbia, and there's always a crowd around me because I'm, I don't want to, I hope that I don't sound like I'm flattering myself, but I'm interesting. And a lot of people who have PhDs are not. So <laughs> I'd this, say that's true. You don't want to see, the, people picture meeting like the stuffy academic, but based on your background, it seems like you have a really strong dynamism and like a, a wide variety of interests. I like a lot of things and I act on a lot of things. Exactly. I think everybody has lots of interests. I think the question is, do they act on them? Anyway, so I'm at one of these events and this guy comes up to me and says, I have this club, it's called the 92 Club, because in this particular branch of science in biology, some medicine, 92% of people do not get to continue in the field that they've chosen. So very high attrition or very high people getting weeded out. And he says, well, you're not doing what you got your PhD in and you seem to have loved it. So could you come and speak to us? So I go and speak to the 92 Club and actually it becomes really big. So it's like 150 people, 250 people in this room. And they're postdocs and people getting their PhDs and really high caliber people. And now I know what's coming. So I've done this also many times with like people with MBAs and people with like really great degrees. The more higher achieving they are, the more the following works. Is I say to them, all right, you know about people like, I don't know, Bill Gates and, and people like Jay-Z, people who left school to do something different. And they go, yeah. And I go, okay, they worked in whatever field they wanted to. And they go, yeah. And I say, you want to do different things, but you can't do what you want to do. And they go, yeah. And I go, you have more education, but you feel like you have fewer options. Isn't that the opposite of what an education is for? And then the room is going to, every time I do this, the room is like silent for 30 seconds as they're like running through, like what has happened that I feel like I have fewer options than someone who drops out. That's one of the most remarkable things when you think about it, actually. Some of the biggest entrepreneurs and more successful people in the world did exactly the opposite of what school and what the book, so to speak, taught them, right? It's like they went against all of the rules of society. And more to your point, it seems like even following the education system and following like a corporate structure and your standard job, by its very nature, your path is set for you, but your options to break out of that mold and break out of the path that's set for you is very restricted, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's very easy to follow that path. That path is not there for you to enjoy life. That path is there because it's stable and it keeps society going. And it's not horrible, but 
depending on what you want in life. I mean, if what you want in life is good benefits, so you can, I don't know, put your kid through college, great. That might be for it. And it's not for me. It would be a very empty life if I became an accountant. <laughs> Nothing against accountants, right? Right, it's, right, right. It's just a matter of personal taste. I think, though, that some people don't even realize what they're truly capable of because they don't believe in themselves enough to be able to go outside the box. You know, what I've noticed is a lot of people say, you know, they see what people like uh, Steve Jobs may have done, where he's dropped out of school or the founders of Google, perhaps, or you mentioned Jay-Z, who they've gone against the grain and pursued a passion that they're really good at and gotten really, really good at it and achieved insane results. But a lot of people also seem to have doubt in pursuing that for whatever reason, and thus they stay on the path that's set out for them. Well, you're close enough to talking about what got me to write the book. And so if it's okay with you, I'm just going to jump into that. Exactly. Go ahead. So when I was getting my PhD, I loved and still love physics. But the life of a graduate student, the life of a researcher, that's not what I wanted to do. You know, it's not the same now as it was in Einstein's day or earlier. And the options available to me were to continue doing that anyway, which I would have been successful because the experiment I was on was great. And the people who graduated after me, they went to like Harvard and Caltech and Columbia and NASA. So it was a really great experiment. But I didn't want to do it anymore. I could have gone to Wall Street. I didn't want to do that. Just getting rich was not what I wanted to do. I could stay in the industry, but that's all military industrial. I didn't want to do that. So I started my first company. And there's a whole story behind that, but that changed everything because I could do what I wanted to do. Well, actually, let's get into that really, really quick. What is the story behind your first company? How did that even materialize for you in the first place? It was the mid-90s, and some friends of mine from college were working, and they weren't that into what their jobs were. And separately, I didn't know about this part until they approached me, but they were meeting and saying, let's start a company ourselves. And they didn't come up with anything, and they thought, ah, Josh is a really smart guy. Let's get him. So they said, let's the three of us get together and meet and we'll get beers. And if, if we come up with an idea, we'll do it. And if we don't, we'll, you know, we'll friends having beers. And I came up with an idea, which ultimately we went with, which was to, um, not the short, I can tell you more, but the, it was a technology, an optics technology that we put boxes on the walls of subway tunnels, mm-hmm. the walls, right, right, I mean, right. the, the tunnels between stations and when the train goes by it looks like there's a movie screen outside the subway car window oh i've definitely seen those now in washington dc i've written the subway there and it's always it's like fascinating because you're in the tunnel you leave the station and all of a sudden you see this moving like movie and you're like wow yep so i wrote the patents and i wrote the business plan and all that stuff and and it totally now i didn't really want to go into outdoor advertising but i definitely loved developing my invention and forming a team and all that Hmm. And so this opened all sorts of doors and changed life completely for me. I really thought in my mid-20s, I had nothing to do. And suddenly <laughs> the world was my oyster. Wow. And I could do what I wanted. Then I'm in, later I'm in business school. I should say there were ups and downs. And so in the downs, I got squeezed out of my company. And that was a very difficult period. And that's why I went to business school, because I realized that I had a lot of holes in my foundation. Physics is, is not... It's great for a lot of things, but it doesn't teach you how to lead a company. I see. So you had more of the technical background, but you still, uh, is this a stress to say that you were not confident enough in your own skills to be able to build it and lead on your own? Uh, to be more precise, I was confident in my skills, but they were the wrong skills. Uh, I see. So I was overconfident in some ways and ignorant of what I didn't know that would have made the company successful. Well, I see. And there's some really difficult, post 9-11, you couldn't bring a screwdriver into the subway tunnels. Oh, of course. Right. And the funding dried up for bubble companies, but it also dried up for us. We weren't a dot-com. You know, we genuinely had very happy customers. But right. nonetheless, the funding dried up and we needed investment. And so the investors said, we'll put more money in. 
but we're going to put our, our guy in as CEO. So I was out. And there's a lot more to it than that, but you don't want me to cry. I don't want to cry. <laughs> so I'm not going to go into the details. Well, w- would you say that, you know, the, the technical skills, obviously they helped you build the technology and the invention and, you know, lead you in that direction, but then perhaps the motivation and politics and people skills or the perhaps the lack thereof probably hurt you in, in retaining control of that path. Exactly. And so now fast forward, I'm in business school. I've run an entrepreneurial company for a while. And so I'm in school and there's a lot of people who say they want to start companies but very few starting companies. Hmm. So I started asking a lot of people who are not starting one, but who say they want to start one, why not? And the number one answer by far was, I don't have an idea. Hmm. Interesting. Now, ask a bunch of people who have started companies, is the idea that you're doing now, the idea that you started with? Never. Almost it's- 100% of the time, the people that go their own way never <laughs> end up with the same idea that they first started with, I think, in my yeah. experience. Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, you know, these right. are all either different or Facebook, like at the time to go up against Rupert Murdoch with a huge, with like 500 million users, very few people would bet on that one. Well, now, exactly. after it succeeded, yes, of course, people would bet on it. You know, a, a great example that I always think of is um, Chipotle, the famous burrito chain that has like uh, revolutionized how we think of burritos and how we even think of fast food because there's so many different offshoots of that entire idea of like kind of like high-end fast food more or less that's created really quickly but the founder of that started his chipotle idea as a high-end restaurant that he wanted in denver and innovating the practice and making it faster he found an entirely new opportunity to even think of before first chipotle was just going to be some high-end single location you know, high-end Mexican restaurant. And instead, he discovered the opportunity actually lay in creating a fast food, but high-end, more of like a version of a Mexican McDonald's. Is. Exactly what it is. Exactly yeah, you don't what have you to see. describe it because everyone, everyone's been <laughs> Everybody there. knows about Chipotle because it's so widespread. So these stories are everywhere. They, they, I mean, this is basically universal. And right. so here's the contradiction, is that the need for an idea, people who don't succeed, it knocks them out. The people who do succeed, it doesn't bother them at all. Right. That tells me it's not the idea. Now, in this country, in this, our culture, if someone says they're starting something, people say, well, what's your idea? If you look at Shark Tank, it's, they're pitching ideas. It's all about the idea, but that's not what makes a difference. It's, I realize it's people skills. It's the social and emotional skills of knowing how to manage yourself, how to lead yourself, how to manage others, how to lead others, and how to develop those things. So I'm teaching, now fast forward again, and I start teaching entrepreneurship at NYU. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, I thought, I'm going to teach how to come up with your idea. And I kept seeing that people didn't really know how to... Some would have an idea and they'd, they'd love it. But most, it didn't really click with them. And every now and then, someone would switch. And they always liked the second one more. And for a long time, years, I spent trying to figure out, how can I help them pick the second one first so they don't have to go through this trouble? And finally, I realized... We learn through experience. If I were to pick it for them, that would rob them of the experience of learning how to pick it for themselves. And then I realized to set up a few exercises for them to learn how to develop these ideas and how to recognize the ideas in in themselves. And now I realize that when students come into my class, a lot of students don't know they're going to take an experiential class. They think they're going to read and write papers. They're going to do, you know, regular stuff. And several students have told me afterward, I almost dropped your class on the first day because you told us that we were going to work on a project. And I didn't come to school for projects. I thought that's what I do after graduation. And yet the achievements that they've gotten are like off the charts. They've been written up in the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post and Forbes and Inc. One of them just got back from Y Combinator. And before that, he got funded by Zuckerberg. He got funded by Eric Schmidt from Google. Oh, wow. And 
another one gave a TEDx talk as an undergrad before graduating. Another right, one, right. She was, I think, 19 years old. Wow. And she was invited to speak at Harvard about her project. Amazing. And she was one of that one who spoke at Harvard. She specifically told me was this close to dropping her class. <laughs> so forget about whether I had an idea or not. That's not only not having an idea. That's like not even knowing that she was going to do anything at all. And I look at the resources that are out there, like The Lean Startup. That's like a very popular book. Mm -hmm. And that's led to, at NYU and Columbia and a lot of universities, that's the foundation. That's what they work with. Right. And the National Science Foundation, NIH, they also use stuff that's derived from there. And look, for a lot of people, that is the best stuff out there. If you have an idea and you're, say you're a researcher or you're an engineer, you know, say you're a researcher in science in some university, research university, you come up with something that is like, wow, this material does something no other material does and there's a need for it. Lean is perfect for you. If you're an engineer in Silicon Valley and you make apps all the time and one of the apps, suddenly people start downloading it like crazy and you're like, oh, I got to build this thing. Perfect. Lean will do it for you. So all these entrepreneurial resources basically require... An idea and a team. An idea and a team, exactly. And it's basically, it usually seems to be linked to some kind of major technology that required lots of research or lots of effort to really create and then you're marketing well, it, right? You don't necessarily have to have a lot of that stuff. You can often get stuff started with almost no resources. Right. But the idea and team are essential for that world, from that perspective. Shark Tank, they're always like, what's your idea? Right. And the... Would you say that maybe the hurdles of those, and getting those off the ground, increase the effort required to even get exactly. it started? Exactly. Right? So I looked it up, and in the United States, STEM jobs... Now, now, the people who come up with ideas don't have to be STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, math. Right, right. Tinkerers, makers, it doesn't have to be them, but let's just... It's roughly... Those are, tend to be where it comes from. So STEM jobs in the United States... I read where 6% of jobs in the US are, are STEM. So roughly on the order of 6% of people are the type who would be well served by lean. Now, they are very well served, but by asking for an idea and a team, the people who would not come up with an idea or a team, they never get heard of. So people who offer these things, they think, well, the others aren't out there. So we're serving our market perfectly. And they are, but that market is something like 6%. What about the other 94%? Now, some of them don't want to start businesses. Some of them don't want to start projects at all. But they're totally unserved anyway. But they don't come to Lean because Lean keeps saying, what's your idea and a team? They don't have an idea and a team. <laughs> right. But it just happens that my class developed that people without an idea or a team succeed nonetheless. And partly because I recognized that this contradiction of so many people are successful without the idea that eventually became successful. Well, so what makes that core difference that makes these people successful if they don't have the team and they don't have that you know, entrepreneurial resource to lean on? Well, remember all those years of me figuring out how to teach leadership, how to teach entrepreneurship without doing it the standard way, without doing it like through case studies and reading and writing papers, then a lot of trial and error, but like what works? Okay. At the foundation, my book is based on my course and the course is a set of exercises that are like the fundamentals. If you want to learn a performance-based skill, whether that's singing or dancing or I don't know, meeting women, <laughs> then as we teach over here on girls chase yep if you try to learn those things through reading and writing papers right and case studies you're not going to get very far you have to practice and you have to practice the basics well because experiential learning is the key to learning right i tend to think all learning is experiential learning and the stuff about coercion and memorizing facts to answer bubble test forms if you really look at what they're learning they're learning a lot of compliance as i said and they might learn a bunch of facts man there's this book called one of the best titles of books I've ever come across. It's Excellent Sheep. That's excellent Sheep. Yeah. Mm. We're producing a bunch of excellent sheep. 
I think that's a tremendous name. And so <laughs> it's really prudent, actually, because it, it says what exactly <laughs> some people are yeah, and what, what like our society tries to, you know, coerce us into achieving, I guess, is like just to be the good worker, I suppose, that just obeys and is obedient. Yeah, and doesn't I, leave. <laughs> doesn't leave to produce his own things. And when I was a nice guy, I aspired to be I aspired to do really well at what was laid out for me. But that's the rat race. That is the rat race. It is to succeed at what the world that others created for you. I'm not interested in that. And so I created these exercises and, you know, there's a lot of refinement, but these exercises are designed so that if you don't have an idea, this is how to develop the skills. In a short term, you'll develop an idea and how to turn it from an idea into a project where you serve people so well that they reward you for it. Now, a lot of people actually take my course having started a company already. Hmm. And they come in, they're revenue positive, sometimes profitable. Right. And inevitably, they're in the same boat that I was, which was they started something and people said to them, oh, this is really cool. You should go with it. And they went with it. But they didn't ask if they wanted to do it, if that's something that they really loved. Because I loved developing my technology. I really loved building teams. But I did not aspire. After aspiring to become the next Galileo, Newton, Einstein, Feynman, I did not want to become an outdoor advertiser. Nothing against outdoor advertising, but it's not what I wanted to do. Had I taken lean, I would have been more successful at that. That's something right. I didn't want to do. And that's not what I wanted. So people, when they come into my courses and they do the exercises, the exact same exercises that are in the book, and they already have something, either they find in it what they a passion that they didn't know was there, or they alter it in some way. They make it something that they love. And either way, whether you have an idea when you start or you don't have an idea when you start, it will connect with you in a deeper, more richer, more complex, complex in the sense of a fine wine, you know, more, not just one little thing, but lots of different things. So you'd probably say that then most people start out or are scared of either having too many ideas or they have too many things that they're focused on, or they don't start things at all because they fear that they won't have, they won't have an idea to begin with in the first place. Yeah. One of the consequences of how most of us learned in school was that we don't really know what we want to do. Yeah, I think that's a really sad thing about the way the education system works too is because it teaches you how to do things technically well and like you said, maybe be excellent sheep, but it doesn't really, no one really, not enough people ask the question, what do I really want perhaps? And like, what really drives me and what am I really passionate about? Ask everyone who's listening to me right now, what was the best thing that you remember from school? Actually, what, what was the best thing you remember from school? Oh man, for me, I think... <laughs> I was a bit of an outlier because I I was in a very small school of architecture and uh, I was the only person that probably had a social life outside of that school <laughs> because everybody else just focused on studying and on, you know, being in studios and like doing all the work. And for me, what was more interesting is actually like being around people and really like learning and operating how they worked. So I spent a considerable amount of time like making friends, meeting people and going to all the social events and parties and things like that. And in the end, wound up with so many different social experiences at the expense of perhaps some grades <laughs> and, you know, poor work. But in the long term, now that I'm, you know, much older, I found that those social skills have taken me like 100 times further away than I see my peers who studied and just worked and produced things. I don't know if you think you're unique, but everybody answers the same way in the following sense. No one says something from the classroom. Yeah, exactly. It's always, for me, it would be sports. Right. And, but it's always something, a lot of people, it's drama, or maybe they're in the singing club, or maybe it was their way to or from school. 
but it's never in the classroom. And the most valuable things we learn, school has great value, but usually it's not the rote learning that we have in the classroom. It's usually something social, something that they learned outside of school, outside of the classroom. And that's how we learn. And that's what we learn from school is other things. But I think that what you also point at is that the difference between what people are, they think they're supposed to learn and supposed to do versus what they're actually passionate about, right? Yeah, that gets knocked out of them. My stuff is to bring that stuff out. Because right. I model my learning on my pedagogy, how I teach. I didn't come up with that out of the blue. It's actually, if you look at some subjects, people learn it very well. Like if you want to learn how to play the piano, you play scales. After you play scales, after you master that, then you play, you know, simple pieces, then more complex pieces, then you have recitals, then you have bigger recitals, then you play performances in front of an audience, and then you play, you know, big audiences. And it always works. You know, there's a lot of TED Talks on entrepreneurship and leadership. There's no TED Talks on how to learn how to play tennis. Right. There's no TED Talks on how to learn how to play basketball. Because we know that. We know how to teach basketball. You don't lecture. Right. You play basketball. I mean, you drill and, and you know, you, you have to rehearse. And these are active, social, emotional, performance-based fields. And so is becoming an entrepreneur or more general than entrepreneurship is to take initiative because to start a company is one way to start a for-profit company, but you can start a nonprofit. But the first story in my book, the opening pages talk about Raphael who came to me and said, I can't stand my company. My managers don't treat me well. You can read it. Well, let, let's talk about Raphael. Why don't we share that? So what is Raphael's story? He was just uh, another person in the corporate world. So he came to me. He was working at a media company. So Raphael had all these ideas for his bosses, but he didn't have any ideas for himself. Right. And so he came to me thinking he was going to get ideas for himself. And we were developing the skills there. And he was also applying the skills to the ideas at work. And ultimately, he involved his bosses in the process enough by applying the skills to the ideas there that they said, they eventually said, this project that you've been talking about, do that one. Because he wasn't going to them to judge and say, can I do this? You know, battleship style. He was along the way saying, here's an idea that, I, that I'm thinking about. I wonder if you could give me some advice on it. And they give some advice on it. And then they think there's part of themselves in that idea. Oh, wow. So he actually got some buyout from them by approaching it in a completely different way. Yeah. And actually, I don't mention this in the book, but I didn't know that he was doing that, that he was applying what we were working on for starting a new company into his existing company. He was doing that on his own. And then one day he was just like, hey, Josh, I got this project at work and I'm, I have the resources to make it done and I got the responsibilities and I got the team and so forth and I don't need to start a company anymore. See, he, he didn't want to rent an office and get a benefits package and file with the state. He wanted ownership in the sense of having a target, a vision that he could act on and the resources and the responsibility to make it happen. But starting a company and hiring people, that's not what he wanted to do. So that's why I call it initiative. And it took pains not to put the word entrepreneurship in the title because I can't stop people from thinking Silicon Valley engineers, you know, IPO bound. That's one subset of how to take initiative. That's what, yeah, exactly. That's one subset of an entrepreneur. It's also one subset of a person that wants to take initiative. Exactly. Like you said. So there's lots of people who, in his case, he just got promoted. Right. And he, he ended up getting the same pay, but working fewer hours and doing stuff that he liked more. So that's effectively a race. And there's lots of people who do nonprofits. There's the guy who came back from Y Combinator. He was part of the, it's a nonprofit that he started. And the guy who did the TED talk and the woman who spoke at Harvard, that just got them into the next thing later. I mean, they were in college. They didn't choose to leave college. Now, actually, I have had several students who've come to me and said, this thing that I'm doing is taking off. I'm thinking about leaving to do it. And, you know, you can see that they got the, they're thinking of themselves, like, maybe I'm going to be the next 
pick your person who dropped out of school. Right, 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 right. And I get a little bit of friction when I meet with a dean before teaching. They look at my syllabus and they're like, where's the theory? How come you're not teaching them the theory? And I know that my student, I will put any of my students against any other student and mine know more theory, but they also know how to do it. So I tell them, if you want to do that, get that advice from your parents, not from me, because I don't want to get in more trouble with the university. <laughs> but read the reviews. If it's okay with you, I'll give you a link to, for people to read the reviews Absolutely. of the course, because yes. it's like greatest course I ever took. I didn't know that I could learn stuff like this. And it's basically I'm taking what works in other fields and applying it in an area where someone should have done it a long time before me, but no one did. And this is hopefully people will copy me. And, but right now, this is the way to do it. And the people who buy this book and do the exercises, they're going to learn certain things. And the ones who don't are going to have to get jobs from the people who did it. So overall, you would say that this book is short term about taking initiative to create the products you love, medium term about creating products in general, and long term about unearthing your passions and really bringing them to life. Yeah, I think it's almost impossible to go in any other direction. And most places don't get that how to unearth those passions. It takes a while to get there. And you have to work. But yeah, and where does it really start, though? It starts with the exercises. It's hard to, when does someone learn to express themselves musically? At the beginning, when you start to play piano, they say, put this finger on that key, this finger on that key, this finger on that key. Right. And that's how to play scale. It's very mechanical. And you'd think if the goal of expressing yourself musically, it's to bring out what's inside you, to have your heart come out. You would think that something so mechanical, you'd probably think that's the opposite of what you want to do. On the contrary, that's exactly what you do. You have to get the muscle memory down. You have to do the basics so many times that you don't have to think about them anymore. And then you can get up to these higher level things. And that's what these exercises give you. And I can't put into words. I'm sorry, I wish I could, but I can't put into <laughs> words the magic, what looks like magic that happens. But it's in all these fields. Kobe Bryant won an Oscar for an, on basketball or to basketball, whatever. It was goodbye basketball. He wrote a letter to basketball when he retired. Why did he win an Oscar? Well, of course, John Williams and the animator were like world-class people. But he wrote the text and he got it started because in any field where you learn to express yourself so openly, so authentically and so genuinely, it translates into every other area. And it happens in this field, too, that if you master the skills of entrepreneurship or taking initiative, you express yourself. And I can't tell you when playing scales and playing simple pieces on the piano transforms into becoming just expressing yourself through the music. I can't say when that happens, but I know how to make it happen. You got to play your scales. You know, there was a time when Meryl Streep was not a good actress. And when did it happen? I don't know, but I know how it happened. It happened from rehearsing and from working what the masters figured out is the way to learn it. She did those things until she became a master herself. So basically, there's a whole lot of discipline that's involved to get to where you want to go. And that's by starting at the basics. And everybody that you've mentioned, yourself included, has basic exercises and value exercises that contribute to your overall goal and to contributing and completing the projects in the long term. Yeah. So all and of those basic exercises, there's a passion behind that. But by practicing those over and over and over again, almost like as a regimen, as a routine, you can lead those to create beautiful symphonies. Exactly. And I have to imagine that people learning how to date probably experience helps a lot. 
Exactly. And, I mean, that's why we tell on Girls Chase to always work on your fundamentals, always be approaching girls every day, and always be like consistently writing field reports, for example. It's because those things, by just by the fact that you're consistently doing it, you can pick up experience and grow really, really, really quickly, even when you're doing very basic things. Yeah. And if people practice something that is ineffective, they're not really going to learn that much. If they practice things that are effective, they'll learn. And if it's really effective, produced by masters who've tested and tested the exercises, then they're going to learn as fast as they can, as fast as is possible. Now, I don't believe that it's possible to just, you're done overnight. Maybe some people have done it. I've never seen it. It takes practice. It takes rehearsal. And it takes, you have to overcome these social emotional challenges. You will inevitably at some point feel, I've been working so hard. I'm worse off now than I was at the beginning. You know <laughs> right. who else felt that way? You know, LeBron James felt that way. I guarantee he felt that way at some time. Oh, so we've all, I think everybody that's really, really tried to master skills has always felt that because they've reached those points, that, which we call sticking points, right? Which are some of the most frustrating moments of growth, perhaps. But in the long term, what you realize is that you look back on those with gratitude at those first projects because they inevitably lead you into the second phase. Yeah. And I'm sure that people who have mastered skills at Girls Chase are going to pick up these faster for what they've learned at Girls Chase and vice versa. If you do the exercises in my book, and then you will learn the Girls Chase stuff faster too. Interesting. So on a very, very core level, it seems that your book and taking initiative really teaches you to be independent, but in a way that you develop skills to find other people's and to basically motivate them to be on your side, right? Like you as a person, perhaps you know what you need and you know what how you want to live. You know that you need food, you need water, you need shelter, you need money, furniture, appliances, girls, love, support, whatever it is that you need, you know that between you and these resources are people who control access to them. And if you behave and communicate in ways that motivate those people to reciprocate and reward you, then inevitably they will just by the fact that you are framing it in a way where they're motivated to do so because they have a stake in your success. Yeah, ultimately, there's a lot of influence and persuasion in here. Right. And you learn it through practice and it becomes really enjoyable. It's this crazy mix where you find what other people need and you serve their needs and they reward you for it. And the more that this happens, the more that you create relationships and a community around you of people who are excellent at what they do. And if you need something... You find the people who have access to that resource and you do things that make their lives better and they will give you access to that resource. Just like how Raphael did it. Yeah. Okay. If you have all the resources in the world, if you work at Procter & Gamble and you come up with a, I don't know, some consumer product good, then what's different there is that you go to the team that markets it and you go to the team that develops it and you go to the team that does the packaging and so forth. That's not entrepreneurial. That's bureaucratic. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's If you have lots of resources around you, you use those resources. The challenge for entrepreneurs and people taking initiative is that they don't have resources around them. How do you get those resources? A lot of people think, well, I don't have resources. A rich person does. Well, they can start stuff. I can't. Poor me. Or <laughs> That's the most defeatist attitude. You know, that's why people stay stuck in their miserable jobs, you know, when they, even though they dream of having their passions and they dream of taking initiative, they just quit. So you just put an earlier step on of what are the resources that I need? How do I get them? And now you make that step one. So before, if you don't have money and you have to get money to make your project work, you have to find out who has money that you can solve something for them, make something work for them that they will say, okay, here's my investment or something like that. If you need connections to other people, you need to find out how to work with people to 
make it so that they want to work with you? How do you connect with them? And the book gives you exercises, it gives you scripts to follow so that you don't have to guess. Now, if you have an existing relationship and you know how to talk to someone, you don't have to follow the script, but most people don't. And this gives you a script to follow. It's scripts at every step, not every step, but in the exercises that need scripts, it tells you like, here's something that works. And oh man, I'm going to tell you a story. Joanne, one of my students, she, not even an American citizen, English is not her first language. So she had a double challenge of, oh my God, wow. There's an exercise where you had to speak to high level people. And her idea was involved talking to a Broadway. She wanted to reach a Broadway producer. So has no idea how to reach this person. And she figures she'll call the front office because, you know, someone's got to sell tickets. So she just calls that number and someone picks up and they're like, do you want to buy a ticket or something like that? And she says, I'm looking for so-and-so, you know, MGM and being like, I want to talk to Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Not at that level, but, you know. Right. And the person says, hold on, because the guy, I don't know, probably wants to sell tickets, you know, not. Anyway, so she's on hold. And after a little while, it picks up and someone goes, Yes. And she goes, yeah, I was holding, I'm trying to reach so-and-so. And the person goes, yes, that's me. And it's the guy. Oh, my God. Right? It's the person. Like, somehow, <laughs> the person at the front made a mistake, right? And went and got the guy. And now the guy is there. And now, she was really nervous at this point because she was not prepared with what to say. <laughs> oh, of course. I bet the success actually scared her a little bit, you know, because sometimes you don't even experience to, like, you're in doubt, perhaps, or skeptical that it might even happen. And here it did. She had no idea that that was going to happen. And she was unprepared. <laughs> and at this point, the class, she's telling this in class. She, right. she's, she's all freaked out. And the class, everyone else, like, sat up and was like, whoa, what's going on? And so she didn't know what to say. But this exercise comes well after, by this point, you've approached people who are close to you, friends and family, people who are, who are in the field but close to you. And she's done this many, many times. And so she doesn't think about what to do. She does what she's done with everyone before. And she just goes into, into the script. You know, I'm a student at NYU. I'm working on this project. There's this thing that I want. I wonder if I could get you some advice. And the person gives her advice. And then after the advice, he's like, goodbye. And she's all flummoxed. And I say to her, I'm going to say it a little bluntly here, but I was a little more sensitive in class because she mm -hmm. was feeling a little rough. Right, but right. I, I basically said, you know, did you get hurt? Were you physically injured? Did you lose money in this? Did anyone you know see you and, and were you embarrassed by this? All these questions. She's like, no, 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 no. And I was like, okay, was there was any physical, I mean, I see that you, you feel a little uncomfortable, but was there any physical loss in this at all? She goes, no. And I go, would you do this again? She's like, yes. And the whole class is like, yeah, we want to do it now. Because they hadn't it hadn't happened to them yet. But that's what happens when you, you know, I just gave my first TEDx talk a little while ago. And I knew like three weeks ago. I think, I think what you're describing is like the fear cycle. You know, we imagine before doing these things and achieving these, these sorts of like tasks that you will get hurt emotionally or physically in some form. And those fears usually prevent people from doing the things in the first place because they back themselves out of out of pursuing those out of their own fears these internal problems are bigger than the external right. ones. yeah and but now you've pointed out that once you've actually done something you can actually re-rationalize it by looking back on it and realize that actually none of the fears that you actually had in the first place ever materialized well i wouldn't put it that way i would say that they in her case it did materialize she was in a difficult spot oh of course what that part materialized what got her out of it was not a rationalization it was practice that she did what she'd practiced and that got her through. She practiced what works. And when she was in a situation when she needed to do what worked, had I told her, here's what to do, then she would have been flummoxed, but she just did what she had done before. So what I was getting at with my, with my TEDx talk 
was when I got up on stage, it was my first time giving this talk in front of a large number of people. I wasn't sure what would happen, but I, I knew what to do. I'd rehearsed so many times that all I needed to do was start my first line and then the rest would follow. And it's the same, you know, the old wax on, wax off from The Karate Kid. I don't know how many people see the movie, but you probably know the words wax on, wax off. You know, he teaches him the motion of how to wax on the car. And it happens to be the right motion for the technique of the, the karate that the guy was teaching. So that when he goes into the situation where he needs to move in the right way, he's done it so many times, he moves that way automatically. <laughs> muscle memory. Yeah, muscle memory. And in this case, it was just, you could call it, it's the same thing as muscle memory. It's just like vocal memory. Right. And look, I know that a bunch of people are going to buy this book and they're just going to read it and that's it. And that's fine. It might help them somewhat. And some will do the exercises kind of perfunctorily and they'll get some value out of it. But the people who really do the exercises, who do them more than anyone else, things will happen to them that they couldn't believe possible. There's a video online and you can look this up. It's LeBron James with his trainer. It's an hour long video of him practicing. Now, you've probably seen LeBron James do things that you didn't think humans could do. Oh, of he course. He does amazing things. So you think, well, he's practicing. Is he practicing how to do some fancy, crazy spin move? On the contrary, he's doing layups and jump shots and he's doing stretches and he's doing, it's a really boring video, but that's how you get greatness. You got to practice the fundamentals. You just always work on the fundamentals and on the basics and you yeah. always just master those and just own them. Yeah. And once you master them, then other things will happen. There's one that's a little more entertaining. That's uh, Steve Nash, also one of the greats. And his, that one's 20 minutes and it's just him on his own, but he, he's talking to the camera and saying why he does what he does and how he does what he does. And it's really, he's one of the best players who's ever played the game. And he's just saying like, I do a couple shots on the baseline, I do a couple shots on the top of the key. I do a bunch of layups. You know, one of the things he says, I don't count how many shots I take. I count how many shots I make. And that only comes from doing it so many times that you know what to do. And it, it might feel a little mechanical at the beginning, but it looks and feels like magic. But at one point it transitions to you being an authentic self that you can't tell someone. If you say to be authentic, be yourself, it doesn't work. But if you do the exercises, it will emerge. That's a beautiful way to end. I think discipline is the key to learning so many different things. But really discipline is also about taking initiative. And it's really about being you and finding what you want to create and pursuing it by having a discipline and having practices that you go to. And I believe that your book, Initiative, really teaches you all those practices from a very core level to create amazing things. And it gives you the discipline that growing up as a kid, I watched a lot of TV. <laughs> the reason I do things in a disciplined way is because if I, I don't know, some people might have more than I do, but that's what the structure is for. It gives me the ability to develop discipline, which I, if I don't keep practicing it, it will disappear very quickly. I'm so happy to have featured you on the Girls Chase podcast, Josh. Because I feel like, you know, there's a lot of guys that come here and read all of our articles, too, about dating and stuff. But a lot of them are actually scared to take initiative because they love absorbing the material. And I've met so many guys, I've coached them myself, too, that they read about it in a book and they read about it in our articles. And they read, they know they're supposed to approach girls. But when a push comes to actually shove and you're faced with a situation, sometimes they just don't know what to do and they back out of it and they don't even start. But so much of the battle is just to get comfortable with doing the basics that once you're faced in a situation, you can just repeat it without even thinking about it. And I think that seems to be so much of the art of taking initiative. Yeah, I think that if they do the exercises and they do what the, the fundamentals that Girls Chase teaches, then they will probably get intimacy and openness and emotion with a significant other or others. And if they do the exercises in my book, 
they will get responsibility and they will get support and community around them. If they go in the direction of profit, they will get profit. They will get passion from deep inside. And that's the way it works. And if you don't do it, well, if you like the rat race, there's that. <laughs> I don't like that. And if you want to, I don't know what the equivalent of the rat race would be in Girls Chase World. I guess if you want to be lonely. I guess it's just following, you know, the buy a house, get married and all that stuff. Oof, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's nothing not wrong with that. But, you know, if you want something more, if you want to experience the dreams that you didn't even think were possible, then there's the whole art of taking initiative and making it come true. You know, what? if you do the Girls Chase exercises, then presumably girls will chase you. If you do these exercises, then the people who chase you are going to be CEOs, funding sources, customers, clients. That's who's going to chase you if you do these exercises. I love it. I love it, Josh. I'm so grateful to have you on the Girls Chase podcast. And thank you so much for sharing all your information about your book, Initiative, coming out on May 21st, correct? Yeah. And if you don't mind me just giving the address for joshuaspodek.com is where all you can find everything about me. So it's Joshua Spodek. Jay, will you probably put the link up? And if you go in the upper right corner, you can go to my podcast, you can read my blog, you can get access to all the books, and it's at joshuaspodek.com. So you also have your own podcast. What are some of the most recent guests that you've featured? Oh, thank you for that softball question. So let's see, I've had an Olympic gold medalist who also was the number one CrossFit champion. <laughs> oh I've had God. people with TED, TED Talk views now numbering cumulatively in the hundreds of millions. Wow. I've had a general from the military I've had C-suite officers from Fortune 5 companies and go to joshuaspodek.com and click on podcast and go to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. And, oh, wait, I've had Chase on my podcast. Is that what you're getting at? Because <laughs> you, I know you knew that. <laughs> so Chase and I go back oof, at least 10 years and we're very good friends. And I deeply value the leadership lessons that I've learned from him and he and I have amazing conversations we have for a long, long time. And so he's been a guest on my podcast. And yeah, that's a great one. I might just have to link it as part of this article, actually, part of this podcast, I mean. <laughs> you'll get some inside views on, on someone who, listeners have probably read a lot of his stuff. And I'll get an inside view of, of something behind the scenes with him speaking about leadership and the environment and things like that. Of course. Well, guys, that was Joshua Spodek on Dating Mechanics by Girls Chase. And thanks once again for listening. And I'm so glad you can join us on Dating Mechanics, Josh. I'm glad I could be here. Thank you very much. All right. Great. Thank you, Joshua. That was an excellent insight into initiative and why it matters so much into being a leader and also why it matters in dating and your romantic life. I can't wait to finish reading your book, which I'm already halfway through at the time of recording this podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode of Dating Mechanics soon, where we break down consistency and more verbal game with Daniel Adebayo. For now, I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast on Dating Mechanics by Girls Chase. I'm Varun Raja, and I'll see you again soon on Girls Chase. Thank you.